My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to bring good tidings to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, and to announce a year of favour to the Lord. Having said these things, quoting from the book of Isaiah in the local synagogue in his own hometown, the Lord rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the assistant and sits down. Sitting down was the traditional sign that some teaching, important teaching is about to come. And all the townspeople that are there are waiting with bated breath. And suddenly our Lord startles them by saying today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. The word which startled them was the word today, because they'd been trained to look to the future. Salvation was something coming in the future. But our Lord talks about today. He is here today. He doesn't make a long range forecast. He doesn't promise that things will be different in the future but rather he claims the power to transform the present, to transform today. There aren't any good times coming. They are here now. He declares that the kingdom of God is among you. And something like 80% of our Lord's recorded sayings emphasize that reality that here and now, this day, God has broken into your life and he can break into your life. Here and now is what God counts. Today, all this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, grace abounds. Today, the kingdom of God can be revealed. Today, God is revealed behind every episode of your life. Not another day, but today. As we start this retreat, we could contemplate those words of our Lord, the importance of this moment. If we're here listening to this retreat, it's because God has wanted us to be here listening to this retreat. He's packaged it for you. He has a message for you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you somewhere along the line. There are things God wants you to hear, eternal truths, possibly truths about your own life, truths about the future. But all that is to happen now, today. And so our Lord speaks to us about living this moment very well. This retreat is a time of grace. 
the time that God wants us to, to think, to pray, to change, to make resolutions, and to see how we are living all the other todays. And it reaches a time to examine our conscience, which really means to examine our life, our thoughts, our heart. John Paul II <clears throat> says there are three fundamental questions that every human person must keep asking themselves in their life. Where have I come from? Where am I going? What is my life all about? And he said that to a large extent, the answers to those questions will determine the happiness that we achieve in this life. And so it's important to live this moment well, to realize that God is speaking to us. He has a mission for us, something to say to us. An old woman once told a story and she said, first, I was dying to finish secondary school and start college. Then I was dying to finish college and start working. Then I was dying for the children to grow old enough to attend school so that I could return to work. Then I was dying to retire. And now I'm dying. And I suddenly realize I forgot to live each day. God speaks to us in the present invites us to make radical decisions in our life, to use our time well, to use our life well, to discover the mission that he has for us. And he has a mission for each one of us. He wants to place before us the greatest ideals that any human person can have in their life, which are the ideals of Christ. He wants us to think about them, ponder them, go for them, St. Maria, in the first point of the way, from the chapter on character that has changed the life of many a man, many a person, he says, don't let your life be sterile, be useful, blaze a trail, shine forth with the light of your faith and of your love. These are really dynamic words, but he speaks them to young people Make decisions now because time is passing. Don't spend your youth or waste your youth doing crazy things. It's one of the greatest times of your life. Live it for God. Do good things. He says, with your apostolic life, wipe out the slimy and filthy mark left by the impure sores of hatred. Light up all the ways of the earth with the fire of Christ that you carry in your heart. He's speaking to every young person on the planet, saying, do something decent with your life. In the last few weeks, I had occasion to read about or to talk to some very impressive people who did very impressive things in their life. There was a good shepherd nun in Singapore who ran an orphanage in Burma during the Second World War. Met her a couple of decades ago. There's a, another Sacred Heart nun that passed away this week who had a bit of a remote influence in my life as a child in a Montessori school. I then went off to teach English to seminarians in Vietnam, educated some people in China, 
look back on our life with great fulfillment. I was talking to a 95-year-old Keltigan priest here in Kenya recently, who is full of the joys of living, because he feels so fulfilled with what he had done in his life. He spent his time well. And so we have a great opportunity to use this retreat to make those radical decisions that God wants us to make. In a book called Surprised by Joy, <clears throat> C.S. Lewis tells the story of his conversion. He says he was raised in Northern Ireland, taught his prayers, but not much religion. And then he went to college. He dropped out of religion altogether. He had no use for it. He became a convinced atheist. But in spite of himself, he was bothered by the grace of today. A here and now tapping on his shoulder. And so he writes, some days the little door would open to an unspeakable burst of joy. Then it would slam again. The door would open, then it would slam, open and slam. Finally, one day when he was at Oxford at Magdalen College, something happened. The one who had been pursuing him daily finally caught up with him. He said, you must picture me alone in that room in Oxford, feeling the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I earnestly desired not to meet. It was in the Trinity term of 1929 that I gave in and admitted that God was God and I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most rejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Well, he never became a Catholic, but he talks about his time of grace. Today, the scripture was realized in his hearing. And that's why the gospel challenged Jesus' neighbors and challenges us to live and to be open to the life of Christ here and now, not tomorrow or next year, not when the next millennium comes, but here and now. And so we can try to live one day at a time as a day of acceptance of what God wants me to do today. We can try that every day we try to suspend all our judgments of people, accept them for what they are, so that this scripture can be fulfilled in our hearing. Secondly, look for the opportunity in today, this day that presents itself, even if today is not quite what we have bargained for. Very often in life, we may be faced with situations or places or events that we didn't quite bargain for. A graduate student had just gotten his first job, a, a desk job, and he felt probably quite correctly that this job was much beneath his talents. And so he complained to his friend that he didn't do pencil pushing. And his friend was rather unsympathetic. He just patted him on the back and said to him, well, you know, the world is a better place because Michelangelo didn't say, I don't do ceilings. So you don't go through the Bible and find Moses saying, I don't do rivers. Or Noah saying, I don't do arcs. Or Ruth saying, I don't do mothers-in-law. 
David say, doesn't say, I don't do giants. Paul didn't say, I don't do Gentiles. Mary Magdalene didn't say, I don't do feet. And Jesus say, didn't say, I don't do crosses. We have to try and look for the opportunity today, even in things you'd rather not do, and in places you'd rather not be. Today's grace awaits you in the particular place where you are. This is the place where God wants you to change, to look up, to see him acting in your life. There was a story of a lady who had her husband's new car, but she wasn't a very good driver. She was driving to work one day and another man was driving to work also. And they happened to collide. There was a little fender bender occasion. And they both got stopped the car, got out to survey the damage. And the woman was absolutely distraught. It was her fault. She admitted it. And this was a new car less than two weeks out of the showroom. And she dreaded going home to her husband. The man felt sorry for her. But nevertheless, certain things had to be done. She had to get the license number, the registration papers and so on. So she went to her car and she reached the glove compartment to get the documents. And then one of the first papers to tumble out, written in her husband's distinctive handwriting, were the following words. In case of accident, remember, honey, it's you I love, not the car. The husband put things in perspective. Perspective is the long view of today's grace. Maybe today's cross. Today's situation where I'm a bit lost or a bit distressed. Or looking for answers to questions that have brought me to this retreat. Today has to be a day of acceptance of the opportunity that God gives me without fear. Because today, this reading is fulfilled in your hearing. And so God calls us in the opportunity of today to a deeper personal relationship with him. There was a story of a Chinese kid who had this big, very decorative Chinese, expensive Chinese vase in his house. One day, this little two-year-old put his hand in the big Chinese vase. And at the bottom of the vase, he found a coin. And so he was pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling. He'd made a grip with, the, with his fist with the coin, but the, his fist wouldn't come out of the neck of the vase. And then his parents came on the scene and they noticed the child's arm stuck in the vase and they realized he has something in his hand. <clears throat> so they told him to let go whatever it is that you have in your hand. But he was Chinese, he had found a coin and so he wasn't going to let go. And in the end, they had to break the vase. And so they broke the vase and when they opened the child's palm, they found he had the equivalent of one shilling, a very small amount of money. And so for the sake of the one shilling, a very expensive vase was lost. And one spiritual writer says, Sometimes something spiritual happens, something similar happens in our spiritual life. We can be very attached to the coins that God has in his, has in his hand, the favours I want, 
help me to pass this exam, help me to get my driving test, help my parents to say yes, help my boyfriend or my girlfriend to uh, agree to what I want. You know? And sometimes he said, we're so attached to the coins that God has in his hand, we forget the hand that gives. We forget the hand of God in our life. And instead of being so attached to the coins, he said, we have to try and reach out and touch that hand, the hand of God in our life. If you look back over your life, you'll see the hand of God working. Who has brought you to be what you are today, who has given you your education, your Christian formation, helped you to be a bit more aware of your Christian vocation, given you so many things. And now that hand of God is perhaps beckoning to you, touching you. These days of the retreat are days of prayer, days of silence, days of formation. God wants us to be silent with him. Just like Jesus on many occasions withdrew into the desert alone to pray. So talk to his father God to find out a bit more about the jigsaw puzzle of his life and to find out the plan of God for his life and the will of God. Each one of us has to try and imitate our Lord's example and to realize that God has things to say to us, wants us to change, to make revolution, resolutions, to make new conversions. Newman talked but the importance of change in our life and how God wants us to change often. Possibly what we need is a good confession to lay bare our soul, to let God's grace get in there to the murky, deep recesses of our soul that perhaps have not seen the light of day for years, or to get some serious spiritual direction. We all need spiritual direction. If we're going anywhere in this world, we need a coach. Executives need coaches, sportsmen need coaches. Anybody who wants their soul to go anywhere, to do anything today, <clears throat> to make use of this opportunity that God is giving to me, well, they need a coach, a spiritual director that they go to regularly to get a few words of advice, to come away maybe with one concrete idea every time from every 10 minutes. And if we put those little 10 minute sessions together, over a couple of months, we end up with maybe 10 or 20 very powerful ideas. The Holy Spirit works through this means of formation. It helps us to go forward along that journey, that pilgrimage of faith, which is our Christian vocation. All through his life, our Lord used the word come. Come, follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. Master, where do you live? Come and see. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Our Lord all the time is saying, come. Come to a new divine intimacy. That's what this retreat is all about. It's only at the end of his life that he says go. 
Go you therefore, teach all nations. And so we have to come before we go. This retreat is all about the coming. God wants us to grow spiritually. He has planted a seed in our soul at baptism. He wants to germinate. He gives us the, the fertilizer of his grace, of formation. But of course, when you put fertilizer on a plant, on a rose bush or some other plant, well, you don't see it sprouting up in front of your eyes and producing a wonderful fruit or a wonderful flower. It takes time. Good wine improves with time. God wants our soul to improve with time. He may have great things prepared for us. Just like he had great things prepared in and through the very special life of Joseph. Very ordinary life. And so we have to try and examine our conscience and see what areas of our life need conversion. Do we get drunk? Are we doing drugs? Are we indulging in things we shouldn't be indulging in? Are we a little bit too lazy, lacking in order, lacking in charity, lacking in respect for other people, lacking in honesty or integrity? There was a, a man who was a little bit too drunk, who was coming home from a few too many drinks one night, and he happened to spot a, a rusty nail on the ground. With a twisted, nasty, bent, rusty nail, caught his attention, and so he bent down to pick it up. It took him a few goes before he could pick it up because he was very unsteady on his feet, but finally he got it. And he was thinking, well, if I could straighten this out and remove the rust, well, it could be useful someday. And so when he sobered up a day or so later, he began to straighten out the nail and he began to get rid of the, the rust with some sandpaper. And as he was working on the nail, the Holy Spirit was working on his soul. He began to see, well, really my life, my soul, I'm a bit like this rusty nail. What I need to do is to straighten myself out a little bit. Just like I'm straightening out this nail, I need to straighten out my life, straighten out my soul, my conscience. He realized I need to go to a good confession. Maybe start a new practice of regular confession to let the grace of God circulate in my soul. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works in funny ways, leads us back to God or leads us to see things with greater clarity, things in our life that we need to straighten out, things that are not as they should be. Maybe he bothers our conscience a little bit. But God also wants us to want that new change and that new conversion, to want it 100%. There was a story of a thief who decided to go to confession to a priest. He was a pickpocket and he wanted to confess his sins. And so he went to confess his sins to the priest face to face. And in the course of the confession, he stole the watch of the priest. He was really an expert pickpocket. And at the end of the confession, he added, oh, when the priest said, is there anything else? He said, oh, yes, Father, I forgot. I stole a watch. And the priest said, well, you have to give it back. 
And the thief said, well, Father, that will be a little bit difficult. But I tell you what, I will give it to you. And the priest said, well, I don't want it. You've got to give it back to the owner. And the thief said, well, the owner doesn't want it. And so the priest said, well, in that case, you may keep it. And so the thief ended up with the watch of the priest. Well, one thing you can say about that interchange was that that guy was not very sincere. He really didn't want to change his life. We can't be sorry for our sins if we're not willing to change our life. A purpose of amendment has to be present in our confession. If a person goes to the priest and said, Father, I killed 50 people last week, and if I get a chance, I'll kill another 50 next week. When the priest said, well, you have to go and try and change your, your contrition. You have to be ready to amend your life, to change your life. Similarly, if a person comes and says, Father, I'm using contraception. The priest has to say, well, are you willing to stop using contraception before I can give you absolution? Or are you willing to stop stealing? Or are you willing to st stop getting drunk? Or whatever it is, here and now, we have to be willing to change our life. That doesn't mean that I will never take a drink again for the rest of my life, or I will never kill somebody again. But here and now, I want to change my life. That is enough to get a valid absolution, because that's valid contrition. And so in scripture, we find the Psalm saying to our Lord, create a new heart in me, O God. We come to the retreat to get a new heart. Take out this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. A humble and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not spurn. There's great importance in our faith in the heart. We get a new heart through washing our soul in the and our heart in the waters of confession, the grace of God flows there, washes away our sins. But we have to, first of all, realize that there's something there that needs to be changed. There's a story of a, an Irish priest one time whose congregation had a lot of problems with alcoholism, so he tried to give a very graphic sermon. He brought a bottle of whiskey to the, to the pulpit and also a live worm. And in the sermon, he dropped the live worm into the whiskey. And he said, you see, I'm going to show you what this whiskey does to this worm. And the worm shriveled up and died because of the acidic nature of the whiskey. He said, you see, this is what the whiskey does to your insides. And after the homily, he was very happy with himself and things had gone very well. Back in the sacristy, when he was divesting, a man came into the sacristy and said, Father, I wonder if I could have the bottle of whiskey. Because you see, I'm full of worms. Well, one thing you can say about that man is that he was honest. He knew his insides very well. He knew his problems. He knew his weaknesses. He knew his illnesses. He knew what was there deep down inside him. In the course of our retreat and of our life, we have to try and discover those deep down things that need changing. God wants us to see them. He wants us to make resolutions to change them because he wants us to be better because that's what holiness is all about. There was a farmer who had to go out to hunt 
for his food for his family. He had three bullets in his rifle. He saw a rabbit, he shot and he missed. Then he saw a fox and he shot and he missed. And then he saw a big fat turkey up in a tree. He lifted up the rifle to shoot the turkey. But then the voice of conscience deep inside him said, aim high, pray first, stay focused. And as he was about to shoot the turkey, out of the corner of his eye, he saw a deer. And the deer had more meat than the turkey. So he lowered the rifle to shoot the deer. But then he heard the voice of conscience again, aim high, pray first, stay focused. But then he saw there was a rattlesnake between his feet. And that posed the greatest danger to life and limb. And so he was about to shoot the rattlesnake, but then he heard the voice of conscience again saying to him, aim high, pray first, stay focused. And so he lifted up the rifle to shoot the turkey. He thought he better obey the voice of conscience. And so he shot the turkey. And then the bullet ricocheted off a bone in the turkey, hitting the deer and killing the deer. And the impact of shooting the rifle made him lose his balance and he stood on the, uh, on the, on the snake and killed it and fell backwards into a pond that was full of fish. And so when he stood up from the pond, he had a dead turkey, a dead deer, a dead snake and plenty of fish with which to feed his family. And so the moral of the story is that we have to aim high, pray first, stay focused. We could ask Our Lady that in this retreat, we might use our time well, reading good things, praying a lot, listening with the Holy Spirit, letting God speak to us, because he probably wants a new conversion from us these days, because today this scripture has been fulfilled in our hearing. Mary, may you help us to make the changes to our life that you want us to make. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.